Hello and welcome to the ACA Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting. If you would like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org and click on online meetings and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm happy to introduce tonight's speaker, Margaret from Pennsylvania. Thank you everyone for having me. Um, my name's Margaret. Um, I have been in ACA for a little over eight years. Um, when I first found ACA, uh, I walked in and I remember saying to them, um, what book do I need to do this program? And they said, the red book and the yellow workbook. And I said to them, good, let me have them. I'll do this in two weeks and I'll be out of here. And they kind of laughed at me and said, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so needless to say, eight years, it didn't work out the way I planned. Um, what I've learned is that ACA for me is going to be a lifetime thing for me, which I'm okay with. Uh, it has given me a better way of life. Um, so to start off with, I will say that I was brought up in a home where my father was an alcoholic uh, ever since I can remember. My mother was uh, a gambler and um, she was codependent. Uh, he was an enabler. So uh, needless to say, uh, my life from the time I can remember was extremely tough, not only emotionally, but just even physically. Uh, my mom was too caught up in uh, gambling, so she didn't worry too much about feeding me. And um, I am the third child in eight. Uh, two babies were lost right after me. And that might have something to do with uh, her not being emotionally available. But who knows? I mean, she was bad to begin with. Um, one of the things that uh, growing up in the type of home that I had, I very early uh, experienced abandonment. When I first started ACA, I used to say my core issue is self-worth. And I'm here to get my self-worth and uh, be able to do something because I was so stuck. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know how to really connect with people. And um, so when I came in to ACA, I, I just sat at a meeting one day and heard them say the traits. And I was just blown away because I realized I was not the only one. Where was everybody hiding all these years? Like I had no clue that so many of us felt the same way. Um, so when I started ACA, that was my thing, core issue, self-worth. And as I continued to do the program, I realized I started to pick up little things. You know, you peel the onion, there's more and more and more. And I realized that um, my mom had abandoned me at a very, very young age. And um, that is what started me and why I am in ACA. I could not remember my anything of my childhood. I um, do an ACA, I finally got some memory back. The first memory I have is uh, wearing a little yellow dress, walking a hall, crying, just looking for anybody because there was nobody. I've experienced what I call desolate loneliness. There's no one. And I remember when I was little, 
I don't know if you guys remember the baking soda can that had a woman in the moon as she was baking. I will go outside and look at the moon to see if she was there because at least somebody would be there because there was nobody. And um, so that affected me for sure because I never knew this loneliness. And really, it says in the Red Book that the first eyes that a baby uh, latches onto is a mother. From that point, there's a bond. I didn't have that. So I didn't have anyone that I bonded with. The Red Book also states that they had done a study. And for those babies that didn't have that, many babies have died. They lose the will to survive. And for some reason, I survived. But um, it still was something very much lacking in my life. Um, my father was very old-fashioned, traditional. Uh, men were more important than women. Uh, so for my dad, he would take the boys and he would leave me at home. He never realized that when he would take my brothers, that my mom would take off and leave me. Uh, I remember numerous times telling my mom my stomach hurt, hoping that she would, you know, the mother would come out in her and she would kind of nurture me and mother me, but she would say, lay on your stomach. It'll go away. I got to go. Cause she had, she, she was planning to go gamble and sure enough, that's what she would do. So I learned pretty early on not to complain about hurting or being in pain. Like no one was going to help me anyway. So I just, uh, my tolerance for pain is pretty high. Uh, I knew that I wasn't going to get any kind of uh, love in that way. So one of the things that I've also realized is that I had no idea what love was. Uh, I didn't experience it as a kid, as a baby, as a kid growing up. And so I had no idea what it was to even give it uh, to anybody else, much less myself. I always went around wanting to fit in and never feeling like I belonged anywhere. So my life was always just always saying to myself, I'll do better this time. I'm going to do better. This time I'll be more outgoing. This time I'll change my behavior. And as soon as I would walk into whatever location or event, I would go right back to being just the way I always was. Uh, there was always this fear, uh, um, insecurity. And so for me, it was just doing the best that I could. I absolutely took the traits and did the best I could do to survive. Um, as I was growing up, one of the things that I realized is that I had this deep sense of fear, a fear for the unknown, fear for the other shoe to drop, fear that no one was going to be there. There was just a lot of fear in me. And I, about second grade, I, a lot of anxiety and, um, I didn't know what it was. I was always just, you know, messing with my fingers and my toes. And it was just extremely anxious. About that point, my older brother, who's two years older than me, started really abusing us physically. Uh, I have a, two brothers older than me. And the oldest started abusing the middle brother and then me. And as many times as we would tell our parents what was going on, they never would do anything to stop it. Uh, I remember hiding in closets. I remember just being really quiet because if if he heard me, he would find me and he would come beat on me again. So it was 
a, a way to survive is just hide, hide so he wouldn't see me. And as soon as I would hear my dad or my mom arrive, then I could get out. I'm safe. And uh, this went on for years. And um, so as I was growing up about when I was six, um, my mom had another baby and his name was Tommy. And finally, you know, babies have unconditional love. So I finally had a playmate and I could play with my little brother. And he was 11 months. Sorry. (laughs) He was 11 months and he died. And no one told us what happened. He was just gone one day. So I remember my parents taking us to the grave and they put him in a box. That's all I saw as a little girl. It's a box. And they put him in the ground. And I'm just wondering why. And is he going to come back home? And then I think also that's where I grew with a, a fear of, you know, being claustrophobic because how is he going to get out of there? And Life went on like he was there and then he was gone. Poof, life goes on. And um, then after that, my mom had another baby. And I think she she was so uh, dealing with her grief that when my other brother was born, she just put all on my brother. And um, I never, I used to always say in ACA, I, I don't know what grief is. No one close to me has ever died. And it was only about last year that I realized that my little brother had left such a big mark in in my life. So what I've realized is that I have three kids and every time one of my kids was going to turn six, I would have another one. And it's like my emotions would freeze. And I had no clue what was going on. They would turn six and I just couldn't bond with them. It's like something in me pulled away. And I used to say in ACA, something happened, something happened. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And it was only last year with COVID and everything that was happening that I finally pinpointed that that's what it was. It was the death of my little brother. I was six years old. And because it was never dealt with, even though I was a child, that stayed with me and and affected my life. So in the process with that, um, one of the things that um, happened to me is having experienced the abuse with my brother, um, what I ended up doing is I married someone just like my brother. And so 17, 17 years in that marriage, physically abused Um, numerous times, never had the courage or the ability to even leave or walk away or even report it. Because remember, for me, I learned fairly early, you don't talk about things, you don't trust, you, you just keep that to yourself. So I kept it to myself for 17 years until one day, he just made a comment. And it was like, poof, I'm done. I couldn't do it anymore. And I knew I had to get out of it. And uh, 
what started from that point is him stalking me. And then I realized the PTSD from my brother's abuse to the PTSD that I got from him. Now it all came back to hit me. I didn't know about ACA. And so I continued to do the best I could. I'm lucky I had uh, people around me that cared uh, because they're the ones that helped me because I was not close to my family. Um, so I, I, I ran because that's what I do. I run. And so I ran and moved three hours away. And all of a sudden I picked up another stalker and now I have two. So I ran again and uh, moved six hours away. And I ran again. And just because six hours is too close and I moved to uh, Washington, D.C., states away and he couldn't find me and just tried to do the best I could. In the process, I lost two kids. Um, my ex, very abusive, knew that's all I wanted was my kids. And um, he took them. And because I had to make a decision to love myself more than even my own kids. And by that I meant I, I wanted to live. And I knew that if I went back to fight, that he would kill me. And so I needed to just concentrate on me and my son. And so I, I, I ran, I've been states away for a while now, for years. It doesn't matter uh, for me, it's once an abuser, He's always been an abuser. So for me, it's just um, something that I have to learn to adjust to. And one of the things that ACA has done for me is helped me to figure out how to maneuver that. And uh, there's been times that the PTSD for me is really, really bad. Uh, if I travel back to where I'm from, which is where he might be because my dad is still there, then I have to come back home and deal with the PTSD, go to a lot of meetings and start all over. And but it's getting easier for me. It's not as difficult as, as it used to be. And so anyway, going back to as we were growing up, I was about 12 years old uh, when my gambling mother thought it was a good idea. And I think it was an oops. She had twins. And when she had her twins, well, she wasn't there. So now I'm 12 years old having to help. And my brothers, my two older brothers also, we're trying to do what we can to bring up two little babies. Um, just feed them, play with them. They're like dolls. And for me, I was over the moon. Now I had a baby that would love me. And uh, so I just fell to it pretty quickly. And so I did that until I was 18. When I was 18, my brother, the abusive one, met me one day as I was walking into my bedroom. And he said to me, if you don't leave this house, you will live to regret the day you were born. He goes, I will F you up so bad that you just will live to regret it. And so I got some stuff and I left. I was in the streets uh, for a few hours until a friend uh, found me and took me to his place, to his grandmother's, and I ran from home. My parents never knew what happened, despite the fact that, and not being in denial, my dad was an alcoholic, but despite the fact that my dad was 
um, an alcoholic and very abusive to the boys, I knew he loved me. And he did the best he could with me. Like he put me in a bubble and no one was to touch me. No one. But what he didn't realize is right underneath his nose, my brother was abusing me, physically abusing me. And my dad was such, my dad was my first stalker. I never realized until working ACA. If I was, a, if he allowed me to go anywhere, he followed me and he would be outside watching to see if I was going to leave or what was going to happen. Um, and that always taught me, or it used to, I used to say to him, why don't you trust me? Like, what have I ever done to not gain your trust? And he, I, I know now he was in fear. He was living in fear as well. He was afraid of what would happen to me, but he just didn't know how to be a father. And, um, I have gone through many years of like, even like right now, if I go see my dad, it's really hard to have a relationship with him because he never helped build a relationship with me. It was always like I was an object that he had to take care of and he had to protect. He never really saw me as a person. And so that's always been something, I mean, I know my dad will pass away and that's the way the relationship will always be. And that's sad to me because I really do love my dad and I don't want anything to happen to him. But obviously, you know, the way life goes, uh, one of us has to go first. And as for my mother, my mother was killed in a car accident in 2010. Uh, in 29, I decided I was done dealing with her. Uh, she was always very judgmental, abusive. Uh, she was always like if I, I went to a reunion for my dad and she just followed me around pointing her finger at me. Why? Why? And she just wouldn't stop. And I came home, didn't know that was right before I started uh, ACA. I started ACA in 2013 and I came home and I was sick for three months. I did not realize that it, that was also PTSD. Having to deal with her, uh, always treating me like I was some diseased person. She was, I realized now my mom lived in a lot of fear because I, the day I was born, I was the other woman and I was taking her man away from her. It was a sick, think, but that's the way it was with her. So as I started to grow older, it just got progressively worse. She got along great with the boys. I used to say my mom doesn't know how to love, but she didn't know how to love me because she did love the boys. And so I realized at that point that she really felt so insecure that my dad would pay more attention to me than to her, that uh, she just couldn't see she couldn't love me. She just, and now doing ACA, I realized her mom and her didn't have a good relationship either. So I can see it's generational for sure. And so my mom and I, in, like I said, in 20, in 2009, I finally decided to completely cut her off. Uh, I just couldn't deal. I heard something on the radio once that said, if your mother's abusive, you don't have to stay in her life. And it's like, I just needed that permission. 
And when I heard that, I thought, that's it. I don't need to deal with this. And so I just decided to have nothing to do with her. I cut her out of my life. I cut my brother out of my life, the oldest abusive one. I cut my other brother right underneath me out of my life. And I, a few years back, cut my little sister out. All of them dysfunctional, all of them abusive in their own way. When my mother died, my brothers took over for her and they started treating me the way she used to. When my mom, two days before my mom was killed, they were talking about funerals and my mom told my brothers, at my funeral, if your sister arrives, I want you to get her and kick her out. So on her funeral, I'm, I arrived to be there supportive for my little brother and they were coming to kick me out except my brother caught them. My, uh, my dad caught them and told them they better not do that. So it could have been left like that. But my brother called me um, two weeks later to make sure that I knew that they were going to do that to me. And so I never understood why they would have to do that. Like, why not let it be? And then what I started to realize is that those two brothers would call my ex, the, the abusive one, to uh, let him know that I was in town. And I would beg them, please don't tell them because you're risking my life. And they would still call them. And the betrayal that, uh, for me, the betrayal I felt that my brothers, like, could do that. It was just, I just didn't understand. Because even though I didn't get along with them, I left them alone. And I didn't understand how they couldn't just leave me alone. Uh, it's like... They had a vendetta and they were going to come out to get me. And that almost sounds like a victim, but that's truly what, what was happening. And so my little brother, the one that was doing the calling, um, two years ago, I get a new a news clip. Um, my little brother was put in prison for 65 years. Um, third DUI, he followed right after my dad. My little brother was drinking at the age of two and never had a chance. And um, I never, I haven't spoke to him because I had cut him out of my life. And now I will never speak to him because he's away that long. Uh, either I'm going to die or he is. So I don't think that we'll ever speak or ever be able to mend or have any kind of relationship uh, because of that. So. The one thing that uh, where it tells us in the book that um, you become one or marry them. I married into it uh, twice. I divorced my abusive ex and remarried another alcoholic. Uh, not abusive, but not physically abusive, but just very emotional, emotionally and and uh, mentally abusive. I was with him because I'm very loyal. And I was with him for 14 years. And right about the time I found ACA, uh, I knew that we needed to get a divorce. I remember that he told me, Friday, you need to tell me whether we're going to get a divorce or we're going to make this marriage work. And I said, okay. That Thursday, I found ACA. I was super excited because I finally found something that was going to make 
him be a better person. It was great. I just needed to go home and tell him and he would work it. And this would be great. We could kind of make something work here. And so I get home and I'm so excited. And I guess he saw my excitement and he said, so we're going to work on the marriage. And I said, he goes, you know, it's either we do or we don't. And I felt kind of pressured. And I said, he goes, divorce or not. And I went, divorce. And he goes, what? I said, "Uh, yeah, because I did. It took so long to get to that point, like to be able to do that, that I didn't want to go back. And so I started going to the meetings. And as I was in the meeting, somebody said to me, don't make any drastic changes within the first year you're in recovery. And I went, "Uh oh, I just asked for a divorce. And they said, "Uh, it's, it's your life. But really, you should really think about that. So I backpedaled back to him. And I said, so they were telling me in ACA that I shouldn't make any drastic changes. And he goes, oh, no divorce. And I said, yeah, let's hold off. And he well, he didn't want a divorce. So he's like, great. All right. You just keep going to your meetings and fix yourself. And then we can make this work. And I'm thinking, fix myself. But I thought at that point, I had been in ACA a few times that I realized ACA was for me. It was not for him. So I just let him say whatever and started doing ACA. Well, I jumped in. I was in, I would go to a meeting on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And that was, I just gravitated to it. I then jumped into service and it was like, this is great because I'm needed. I belong. Well, we're supposed to do service for the right reasons and not to be needed. So what I ended up doing is, as I was doing the um, service in, in the first meeting that I went to, um, that meeting was mine. So if anybody came in and wanted to make changes, I got really upset. And what I ended up realizing is my ego kicked in. I did not have enough recovery to do service. I resigned from my position and left that group and started going just concentrating on my other groups because I knew at that point that I needed to recover more before I gave. But all my life, I was used to giving. I'm supposed to do for everybody before I do for myself. So it was so easy to jump into that. So I pulled back and just started attending meetings and being a participant, being a member, and just started to work the program. I have since gone through uh, quite a few yellow workbooks. Uh, I've done it quite a few times. It's kind of all messy. Um, I've done, my favorite is the traits. I love the the traits. That was deep work for me. And uh, it kind of gave me more insight on a lot of stuff that happened uh, in my life. So that was uh, something that I enjoyed. About two years ago, um, my son kept sending me messages, and all his messages were doom and gloom. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I feel horrible. I and it's like, well, I could help if people called me in my meetings. I just couldn't do it for my son. And I finally said to him, "You know what? I'm going to send you a book. Read it." And I sent him 
the traits, which I never recommend people start with the traits. I always say, start in the yellow workbook. I just knew he wasn't going to do it anyway. So I sent it to him and he said, cool. When can we start, mom? And I said, what? He goes, yeah, when can we start? So my son and I did the traits together. And one of the things that was really amazing is that he answered his questions the same way I did. All of them were about being uh, abandoned, being neglected, feeling unworthy, uh, feeling um, lonely. Um, I don't belong. Everything that he wrote, I wouldn't tell him what I would write because I told him, if we do this, you cannot see me as your mother. I am just another person working on this book with you. So you have to flat out say what your mother did to you. And that was hard because when he was telling me how sorry, how I abandoned him, I didn't. I sacrificed my whole life for him. But that was his perception. And I had to accept that. He felt that I did. So one of the things I realized with ACA emotionally I abandoned him and he felt it he was more sensitive so he was able to catch on to that and it really did affect his life because his dad was an alcoholic an abuser not to them but to me but I mean I shouldn't say that because he's screaming yelling that is abuse to kids but I realized that Everything I went through, I now, like they say in the book, the baggage, you know, the, the bundle, I for sure passed it on to my son. Uh, he did the book with me. We, we did it all. And the changes in him is amazing. Uh, he is more confident. I don't get those messages. I sporadically, I'll get him where he says, I don't know what's going on. Things are tough, whatever the case may be, but he is in such a better place. Uh, now we jumped on the yellow workbook together. So now that's what we're doing um, together is, is doing that. It allowed me to heal on a deeper level uh, to be, be able to make amends to him and to be able to see how all this was given to me and I gave it to him. And um, it's allowed me to um, be able to see him grow in a good, healthy way. So that's been really, really rewarding for me. The other thing that um, has helped me in my recovery is service. Uh, I tend to jump into a lot of service. I, um, like I said, I took office positions. One year I became a delegate for one of the meetings I do a speaking. If I'm asked, I'll speak in meetings. I put on RSG workshops and I'm starting another one. I don't know if everybody knows, but that's Ready, Set, Go. Uh, and that's an introduction to the steps and in four weeks. And then we work on our inner child. And every time I do those, I actually go through the whole process. So I've worked on my inner child like five times. And it's just uh, really been rewarding for me and allowed me to realize that 
I could not heal my inner child if my critical voice was still there, my critical parent. And what I like to describe is that in the workshop is that you can heal your, your, your critical child. We're told love your inner child. So we love, love, love our inner child. And then the critical parent is not dealt with. So it's like beat up, beat up, beat up. And then love, 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 beat up, beat up. And um, to me, it's like doing exactly what was done to us. And so for me, it's been really rewarding to be able to see that I have to deal with that critical parent to be able to love who I am. So the workshop for me has really helped me continue my growth. And that I'm starting uh, on May 4th, if anybody's interested. I also have helped people start a new uh, meeting. A few people from RSG decided that they wanted to continue to uh, do this program together. So we started a meeting uh, that does just that on um, the yellow workbook. So that's also been really uh, rewarding for me. Um, and one other thing that I had done is a few years back, we put on a, a workshop for traditions. And like, for me, who loves traditions? It's like, how boring? Why did I come in a tradition meeting? So I said to some of the people there, why don't we do skits? If we do skits, how many times have we been to a meeting that somebody does something and you're like, so we decided to throw that workshop with skits and um, WSO loved it and they now put them on the website. So that's been really neat to be able to do that. And the other thing that um, I do a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one with people, that's also been good for me. So I, I, like I said, I really have gotten involved with this. And lastly, I just joined, uh, Ready, Set, Go is putting out a book. And I was asked if I would help uh, with them to edit the book. And so we've done that. That's pretty interesting because you have four different opinions. So it's like, okay, I use my little hand on Zoom. Like I have something to say because everybody's talking at once. And I'm like, okay, just be patient. Maybe somebody will see my hand because I want to talk over them too. But it's like already a mess. But uh, that's been uh, a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, we'll finish that soon and we can be done with that. So um, the other thing that I love, my favorite, is Roman numeral 26 out of the Big Red Book. And it's the triangle. That has helped me. And if I'm ever having any issues whatsoever, I go straight to that because the top is the PTSD, the stored trauma. The other corner is our traits that we developed because of that. And then the other corner is the hidden child. And for me, I like to say it this way because God is my higher power. But I say my Holy Spirit, my connection to God. And what I realized is that for years, I have been missing something in my life. It's like in that triangle, I was missing one corner. And all my life, I've been trying to fill that with husbands, children, friends, kids, work. Um, luckily for me, I didn't pick up alcohol. I've never drank in my life. Um, I don't smoke. I've never done drugs. So I didn't pick all that up. I didn't need to. I, I picked up emotional 
this emotional mess is what I picked up. And I did it so well, too. And so what I had to do is find a healthy way to feel connected. And to me, finding that has given me peace. I've learned that forgiveness to my mother, she couldn't have helped giving me what she gave me because she got it herself. And it's like, as the saying goes, we all hear this. I couldn't ask her to give me a loaf of bread because she was in the lumber store. She was not going to be able to give me what I needed. And I was not going to be able to give my kids what they needed. I remember saying all my life, I will not become my mother. And without realizing it, I picked up some stuff from my mother. Oh, that used to tear me up when I would realize that. But now I realize that there's no other thing that could have happened. So ACA has actually just helped me be, I like to say, who God meant me to be. I was supposed to be a certain way. And because people abused me and did the things they did to me, it's like clay. I always say it's like they banged me, shaped me into something that was just not who I was meant to be. And so I had to go back in with ACA and shape it into what I am supposed to be. And it's been a process. And sometimes I mess up. ACA for me is like a roller coaster. I have real highs and real lows. Uh, I've realized I didn't know this, but uh, addicted to excitement. That is me. That doesn't mean I'm going to jump on a motorcycle. And but for sure, I'm I'm attracted to people that have drama in their lives. And I realized that's very tiring. I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm able to put boundaries and and just say, you know, none of my business. The one of the things that I I picked up from a friend, uh, a friend from AA is the one that. Uh, found ACA for me. And uh, for years, I couldn't make my own decisions. I needed someone to make them for me. And he's a, a very dear old friend. And so he said to me, go to this meeting. And he gave me the address. I didn't know where I was going. I ended up in ACA. And he always used to say to me, it's none of your business what anybody thinks about you. When you start making it your business, then you're getting in trouble. And so what I've learned is that that and and I use that a lot and it helps me so much because before it bothered me, I had to do things so they approved of me, you know, people pleaser type thing because they would keep me. And so one of the things I have learned is like. Um, the other thing that I've learned is. I used to hate my birthday, hate it. And the reason I hated it is because I always felt like my mom had me. She didn't want me. Why would I celebrate a birthday? And what I've, I remember I was reading something one day and it said, God's gift to you is your birthday. And I just had to keep seeing that over and over so I could accept that, you know what? It's okay to love me. My mom missed out in getting to know who I was and who I shouldn't say was who I am now. My mom missed out in getting to know the person even back then who I was and who I am now. She never gave it a chance, but I can't beat myself up over that. 
that was a choice she made. And I just backed off from that. I was doing this um, 30 day grief thing. And one of the things is that you do a writing and you find, uh, uh, you change words and stuff and you end up with a poem. And uh, if you guys don't mind, I'm gonna read the poem that came out from this because I was doing a grief paper on grief for the child that could not be. And it came out, there's sadness for that little girl that was not loved. I went through life never feeling like I belonged to anyone. I cry for the life that I could have had. I have to change my life now. I grieve for what I never had a chance to have. I've been all alone most of my life. I have suffered alone. I have been beaten. I've been dismissed. I've been treated like an object. I sit here with grief because I know that God loved me. I was too stubborn to see. I can see myself with hands reaching to God and with tears falling down my face and the pain. I have to accept that this was my life. God loves me. I just need to reach out to him. So I had to learn acceptance, acceptance for what was given to me. That's not my fault. And so I had to learn that life happened to me. I didn't happen to life. What my I went through with my parents, my brothers, um, my ex. With my ex, I could have made a better decision, I guess, but I didn't know any better. And then once I was in, I just didn't see a way out. But a lot of that I realized was because of what I was taught, the way I was brought up. And I realized that I was pretty much brought up to get into an abusive relationship. So that ACA has taught me that it has the answers for me. I'm going to continue in my recovery and I'm going to continue to do what I do. I love ACA. I love what it does for people. I love how I can continue to contribute. And as the saying goes, I can't keep what I don't give. And so I give back because of that, because I know that that is what has helped me. At one time when I came in, there was a veteran that helped me. And now being in it this long, I like to be there for those that are coming in. And especially with COVID, there's so many people coming in now. And so I do put myself out there to try to be of service by uh, giving to others. So with that, I will say thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Adam, for allowing me to come. And um, thank you, ICA. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. It's beautiful. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Loved your share, Margaret. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret.